0: So next Sunday, you want to make sure you're here, invite all the guys, you know, dads or not, just at another opportunity. People say, why in the world do you do these car shows? Why do you, why do, you do stuff like that? Because there are a lot of people out there says, I won't go to church. Hey, you want to come to a car show? Yeah, I'll come to a car show. And hey, you want to kind of come in? It's not going to kill you. It'll be okay. And so what an opportunity, you know, to bring guys, you know, this next week. So I just want to remind you to invite, invite, invite. Uh, also want to thank you guys. Uh, so many of you guys know that last weekend We had our annual elders and wives retreat, got a chance to go up to Montana, spend some time with God, with one another, looking back, looking where we're at and looking where God is leading us. And so just a great and fruitful time. So excited for that. Excited for all these graduates. Got a chance to see last weekend, you know, on our stage here. And, And I know that I have four of them to visit this afternoon. And I know many of you as well. But what an opportunity to keep praying. And I would just encourage you pray for the parents you know, as well, uh, you know, the graduates usually are pretty excited about that, and the parents uh, are usually not. Um, they will be excited later, but this is the season where it can be very challenging. So just come alongside that as well. Uh, last thing I want to mention is Eric said, in case you didn't hear him, uh, we got a lot of people that uh, said, this is my, my fault. I didn't communicate with you guys. Where's Eric. You know, uh, what's wrong with Eric? Well, there's many things wrong with Eric, but, uh, but that is beside the point. The, the point was he got a chance to get that sabbatical for the first time in probably decades. So I'm just grateful, you know, that he got a chance to get away, spend time with Jesus, and be able to come back and lead us, you know, in worship. Now, many of you are aware that we are in uh, this series called The Forgotten God. And the reason we called it that is because, at least in our church background, we have a tendency to talk a lot about God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, And the Word of God, but we don't emphasize and talk enough about the Holy Spirit that seems to be on display as the forefront with most of our New Testament. So, so far we've talked about how the Holy Spirit is the one who adopts us, you know, into God's family. And then the next week we talked about how the Holy Spirit transforms us, changes our position in Christ and our condition in Christ. And then last week, Chad talked about you know how the Holy Spirit guides and leads us uh, on a regular basis, discovering God's will. By the way, didn't you enjoy Chad last week? Was he pretty good? I love Chad. You know, Let's just give it up for what God's doing in his life. Or at least I used to like Chad because then I heard he talked to people about my dancing skills either in the lobby or on stage uh, in Vegas. And, uh, and And I just want you to know that he is a liar and he'll never be here ever again. Chad, if you're watching, yep. That's for you. This week, I, here's what I want you to process. What are things or places outside of ourselves that we get power, that we are empowered? Uh, wh- where is that? Uh, you know, f- obviously, there's some places like uh, electricity. You think about the power beyond ourselves, uh, gasoline, hopefully not staying at $5 a gallon, keep praying for that. Batteries, solar, wind, hydro, nuclear, all these powers that are outside of ourselves that empower us to do things that we couldn't do on our own. Uh, maybe there's another group. How about uh, relationships that give us power? It could be family, could be close friends that empower, they encourage us, they come alongside. And we're just like, ooh, I'm able to do more than I thought I could do because of this encouragement in my life. Uh, uh, for many of, uh, of you, because it is 9.30 in the morning, caffeine, right? Coffee. Red Bulls, don't drink too much. It'll kill you, you know, but those things give you a power beyond yourself to kind of get through. Uh, Maybe it's different kinds of food that energizes or sleep, Uh, working out, gives us extra doses of power or or maybe it's a whole different category. Maybe it's education. You got a certain amount of education and you feel empowered because of that education. Uh, Maybe it's a job title, so you, you have a special amount of power that you wouldn't have by yourself if you weren't giving that role or that responsibility. It could be even a title in the home. You might be mom or dad. You've been given a, a power and an oversight and a responsibility, and the list could go on and on. The reason I mention that is because you and I have been given the most powerful gift that we could possibly receive, and it's called the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be and do things that you can't do on your own. And that's one of their awesome natures. And so what we're gonna do is for the rest of our time, we're gonna look at how does the Holy Spirit give us power? How does the Holy Spirit empower us? And then we're gonna talk about then how do we tap into that power? So that's where we're going you know, on this morning. So we're gonna look at Acts. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Acts 2 because uh, even though the Holy Spirit is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of takes center stage starting in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you know, here's what we read. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers are meeting together in one place. So Pentecost is actually a Jewish, you know, festival that is called the Feast of Weeks. And it takes place seven weeks or 50 days after Passover, now, if you know your Bibles, you know that Jesus died on Passover, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He raises from the dead. And here we are seven weeks later. The reason that's important as we go into this is because the Jewish festivals, there are about five of them, you know, in the course of a year would call them to Jerusalem from all over the world to participate in these festivals. So if they were able, they were asked to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate. And they were the last time that they were there in Jerusalem in mass was on Passover, and now they're all back again. So large crowd that's gathered. Here we are in the very next verse. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone was, who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What a scene. Like right, something out of a Marvel movie. All of a sudden they're sitting and they're worshiping and they're praying. And all of a sudden this huge wind comes in and there's this fire, it looks like tongues of fire on their head. And then they're able to speak. But when they speak, a power beyond themselves takes place. Other people are able to hear in their own language. And then Peter decides to stand up and he stands up and he begins to tell people what's going on because all these people come all over the place because they're from different parts you know, of the world. That's why they're speaking and people understand miraculously in their own language. And so he starts trying to tell them what's going on and you know, no matter how uh, evident or how proof it is that God is actually working, there's always naysayers. And so there's a group of people that say, no, no, no. These guys aren't doing anything miraculous. They're just drunk. And Peter says, it's nine in the morning. I know it's five o'clock somewhere, but it's nine in the morning and we are not drunk. We haven't had any of that kind of stuff. And he begins to explain to them. And he starts in verse 17. In the last days, he says, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, sometimes we take that word prophecy thinking it's just uh, somebody predicting the future. That's actually not what the word means. It can mean that, but the word prophecy literally means the gift of interpreting the will of God. So it could be somebody just proclaiming God's will, you know, telling people, explaining what God's will is for their lives. Some of it may be future but much of it is not. It says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, location is key. Location is important. And the reason I say that is because uh, um, I got a chance a couple you know, weeks ago to go to Israel, and I got a chance to stand on the steps where Peter actually proclaimed this message. And so here we are in the southern steps. And I just imagine, you know, this scene, you know, where all these people now have gathered and we're standing there and we're overseeing all of this as he's telling us. Now, the location is important because he's not actually in the temple. He's just outside the temple. Now, let me give you some Jewish background to help you understand the significance of this event. In the old days, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God let him out. And when he let him out, he then guided them by a pillar There was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at nighttime. So they try to go into the promised land. They disobey God. Then they get to wander around basically in a circle for 30 years, for 40 years. They're wandering around in this circle. God lets them in the promised land. They go in the promised land. They take the promised land and they build a temple. When they build a temple, a cloud, the same cloud, comes into the temple and it fills it with his glory. And what that was signifying to the nation of Israel and other nations is that Israel has a God unlike no other. And this is God's place. This is going to be God's presence. Now, it doesn't mean God's confined to a building, but it does mean that all of the ways that we're going to celebrate these festivals and said would always bring them back to the temple, would always bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, I give you all of that. Because now here they are just outside the temple. Jesus is risen from the dead. And now he pours out his Holy Spirit. What he's indicating based on location and time is that God has left the building. In other words, no longer would the nation uh, of Israel, no longer would you and I only come to experience God, but you would now have access to God because of the Holy Spirit's power that's inside you to be able to communicate with God any place, anywhere in the world, which is where we are today. That's the significance of this event that we are supposed to gather. We're supposed to hear, we're supposed to, you know, receive, but then we're supposed to do something with what we have received. And so God is doing that. So what is he actually empowering us with? Because we he goes, okay, this Holy Spirit, the power has come upon us. The first thing that the Spirit's empowered us with is to be a witness for Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus actually tells his followers, but you will receive power. Here's the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, that word power actually means authority to do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said, because we will have Jesus inside of us. So we're receiving this power that's beyond us. Why are we receiving the Holy Spirit's power? So that you can be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what a, what, a, what a reminder, what an emphasis to be like, you've got a chance to be receiving the Holy Spirit, not just so you can connect to God, but so you can be my witnesses. That's what you're gonna be empowered to do. Now, I have read that verse literally hundreds of times. Something hit me this week that has never hit me before. And that is, do you notice what Jesus says? His words are intentional. He says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now to the Jewish people, why did he include Samaria? He didn't have to. If he's gonna talk geography, he could have just said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And they're gonna be sitting there, yep, we're gonna go out to Jewish people in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so they'd have been like, yep, 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 Samaria, nope. Now, why did they have a problem with Samaria? Because there were Samaritans that lived in Samaria. And the Jews hated Samaritans because during the exile, when they were taken out of their country, these Jews who were left intermarried by choice or by force where they sacrificed themselves in being overtaken. And when they returned back to Jerusalem, they saw these half-breeds and they said, you have not stood for the values of God and we hate you. And this animosity begins to develop. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you a power to bear witness of who I am to people you hate. So it got me thinking, who are the Samaritans in your life? And who are they in mine? Process through that because it's easy, you know, to bear witness to who Jesus is with nice people with people that we like, people that we get along with. And so let me, let me kind of make, make up some things that may or may not apply to you. Are the Samaritans in your life, is it someone of a different race or class? Uh, sometimes the people that we have the hardest time witnessing to are people that are different than us. Maybe it's those who are homeless or vice versa, those who have great means. You're like, I, I don't want to witness to those people. I have a hard time. Maybe it's based on politics. Oh yeah, everybody's favorite. You know, those Samaritans or those dirty Democrats or those self-righteous Republicans. Those are your words, my, not mine, by the way. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's based on sins, You know, maybe it's based on, you know, uh, people like the LGBTQ plus that you're like, you know what, I'll witness to everybody, but I'm not gonna witness to those people. Or maybe in my experience, the hardest people to witness to are people in our own families, right? The people that you just do this with on a regular basis. Who are the people in your life that you just have a hard time thinking about, let alone witnessing based on your actions and deeds in the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you a power that's gonna be in you, that's gonna challenge beyond you to do what you can't do on your own. That's impressive. And that's the challenge that we're receiving. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome habitual sins in our lives. See, you have the power by the Holy Spirit to overcome what is currently taking you down, what is actually draining you of power. And one of the mistakes that we make is we just think if we just try harder or do better, we will be able to get rid of these things. And you know, because you've been like me and the harder you try, you're going to still run up against that wall. You need something greater than you to help overcome that which is in you to actually overpower and take away the thing that's taking you down. In fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There is this craving, there's this war that's taking place and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit you can overcome those habitual things in our lives. One of the greatest lies the enemy has given us is that you can't overcome these things. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're right. You can't, Satan is partially right. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can because I have a power that's in you that's greater than you. A third way that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit is with a gift. How many of you guys love gifts? Gifts, gift people. Okay, love, uh, I love gifts as well. No, let me, let me rephrase. I love good gifts. Okay, you know, there's a big distinction. You know, somebody says, you love gifts, you give them this. And I was like, nope, don't love that. You know, I'm not gonna say what those things are. But uh, some of you guys are words of affirmation, acts of service people, that kind of stuff, gifts people. Well, whether you're a gift person or not, you get a gift. And the gift is called a spiritual gift. And the spiritual gift is given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's four or five probably different passages in our New Testament. Let me just read one that talk about this power that's given to you and I by the Holy Spirit that's beyond us. Verse eight of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to to give wise counsel, wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether the message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And so you're given a gift And you can read about these other gifts that are listed in like Romans 12 or 1 Peter 4 and there's other places. And I know that there's some dispute out there and you start talking to people who know the Bible like, hey, were all the gifts used at all times? Were they just used during Jesus' day and not today? Don't get caught up in that argument. That's not the point. The point is, what is your gift? You've received a gift that is an empowerment beyond you that's been given to you. Do you know what that gift is? And that's one of the cool things to figure out. Like, for example, uh, here's just a list, and this doesn't even complete the whole list, you know, of the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible that are given by the Holy Spirit. You know, wisdom and knowledge, leadership, teaching, discernment, evangelism, prayer, etc., etc. As you look at the screen, can you figure out which gift or gifts God has given you? And this is usually the question that I get. How do I know? How do I know which is the gift that I've received? There's three primary ways. First the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. That because you're connected to God and the Spirit and through his word, you're like, ooh, that's obvious. I can't believe that I've received this gift from the Holy Spirit. The second one is through the spiritual gifts tests. Literally, I found the easiest one on the internet called gifttests.com. And you could go on it right now and you could actually take five minutes and it can begin a journey. There's others, there's better ones that are out there, but at least get you started if you've never done this before. But you know, when I read the Bible, uh, they didn't have the internet and they didn't have spiritual gifts tests. And hey, welcome to the family of God. Thanks for accepting Jesus. Fill out this paperwork and we're going to be able to identify what your spiritual gift is. Do you know the primary way they identified people's spiritual gifts? In community, in relationship. So what people would say is, I think I have this gift and somebody else would affirm, you do have that gift or you think you have that gift of worship singing and you don't, you know, so let's make sure we get that clear. You know, but uh, there's, there's these, 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 these gifts that are always given to us and we may not sure, but when you're in community with other people, all of a sudden they realize, you know what? You have the gift of hospitality. Do you know you're an encourager? You have the gift of leadership. And it's in the context of community that we see what our gift is. The one gift that all of us has received by having the Holy Spirit in our lives is that you and I get a gift of fruit. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that it talks about this fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You know another way to say that exact same phrase? The Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see him produce this kind of fruit in our lives. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And I don't know about you, but I can't will myself to do these. That's why it's fruit when you connect to the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is fruit in our lives that is a power beyond us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So, why? Why does God give us these gifts? If you love gifts, if you love blessings, why does He receive these? Why does He give us these gifts? And there was one verse that I skipped over. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that explains the why. It says, A spiritual gift, doesn't get any clearer than this, is given to each of us so we can help each other. Every time you read in the Bible where somebody's asking for a blessing from God or a gift from God, it is never meant only for that person. It is always meant for that person or group of people and then through those people to benefit other people. That's the way that God's economy works is that he's given us a gift so that we could serve one another. It's not just a gift to be used for yourself and to be hoarded. It's actually to be shared as we do this. I think one of the best word pictures of this is, uh, as you know, uh, you know, went to Israel and as, as I was there, we got to go to the Dead Sea. Okay, it's, it should be named the Dead Sea because there's nothing alive in it. It is completely there. There's no fish that live in it, any kind of stuff. It is 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on earth outside of the oceans that you can visit. And the reason that it is dead is because of its salt content. To give you an idea, you know, Pacific Ocean has about three to 4% salt content. In the Dead Sea, it's 35%. 10 times more, which is why when you get in, first, don't shave your legs, ladies, or you know your beards, guys, because it burns. Anything, any scratches, burns crazy. But you float as in like a weightless society. It's we- like, like you're going to space. It's the weirdest feeling and the weirdest sensations you can have. Now, why is it dead? Because the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. But what makes it dead is it has no outlet. So, all of water, all fresh water and life is coming into it, but over time, it actually, the very life that's being brought into it is the thing that's contaminating it because there's no outlet. You go to Cordilleraine, you have the Cordilleraine River coming in and the Spokane River coming out, and every healthy lake has that. The Dead Sea does not. As Christians, may we never become like the Dead Sea. That over time, you might find yourself, why am I not growing in my faith? Why am I finding myself grumpier as I get older? Why am I not experiencing joy? Why am I not being fed enough at church? And all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, could it be because everything is coming in and I'm not exercising things out, which is actually what brings you life. So the spirit gives you these gifts so that you can grow, but in God's great economy, as you serve and use these gifts for the benefit of the body, you find yourself growing. And we see this on a regular basis. That's the gifts and blessings from God, which leads us to the final question we have time for. How do we tap into this power, right? That's what some of you guys really wanna know. Like, okay, this is pretty cool. I get a power that's beyond myself that's gonna help me to live like Christ has called me to do and to do some awesome things that I couldn't do on my own. Tap into this power. How do we do it? Well, the first way is you got to make a choice. Do you choose to follow Jesus? There's a big difference between saying you're a Christian in our culture, accepting Jesus as Savior versus actually following Jesus on a regular basis, tapping into that spirit's power. See, at the end of Peter's message, when he's on the Southern Steps and talking to these thousands of people, he says this, because they said, all right, what do we do? How do we respond to this message? And he says, each of you must repent of your sins, Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you receive Christ, you receive this gift. You have to make a choice to follow him. Now, just a little bit of a side note, but I thought it's important because we wanna preach the Bible, don't we? Two verses later, for some of you guys who say that I preach too long, I just wanna read this, verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time i going to let the spirit lead you in that one. Then verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people. What a scene to see 3,000 people at once being baptized. But here's the problem. When I was in Jerusalem, there's no body of water. You're like, there's no lake that's right around the temple. There's no river, not even in Jesus' day. How in the world, we're far away from the Jordan River and other lakes. How in the world did they baptize 3,000 people that same day? What was really cool is that on the southern steps, right next to it, through archaeology, they have unearthed over 100 what's called mikvahs. And these mikvahs would be used as ceremonial washings, over 100 of them that was within 25 yards of where Peter was preaching. So these mikvahs, these ceremonial washing places would instantly become baptismals and you would see dozens and dozens of people at each one of these things over the next however long it took to baptize 3,000. And usually at that day and age, they didn't even count women and children. So you're thinking maybe there was up to 10,000 or even more. Who knows how many actually were actually baptized? What a cool thing that God does. It's almost like God knew what he was doing and where the location should be and why it was important to do it there in terms of what Peter was gonna be saying. So the first way, how do I tap into power? Are you following Jesus? Secondly, plug in, which is a good way to say it, plug in regularly to God's word, prayer, and worship. See, in Acts 13, two, there's many passages that's just like this. One day, as these men, these are prophets and teachers at the church at Antioch, were worshiping the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I've called them. Fasting, prayer, worship, connection with God. See, in worship, so much of today, this is what I find. And I think it's because we've, we've had American Idol, The Voice, all these other kind of you know, shows that are on there. And we get very self-conscious. And when we come into a place like this, and even if we know the song, she's like, I'm not a good singer. In fact, I don't even like to sing, you know, very much. And so I'm not going to sing. Let me just lovingly help you with this. It's not about you. It's actually about him. And what we do is we get challenged by the Holy Spirit to get out of our comfort zones and to be able to engage in worship in song where we bring a sacrifice of praise. That's what Hebrews 13 tells us. We're actually coming, bringing an offering, bringing a sacrifice of praise, which is singing to God. And what can happen from time to time is when a group of God's people come together, worshiping God, God's spirit shows up individually or as a group. And either through the words of the song or something comes to mind, you see God's power that gets displayed and worship is one of those things. So I would encourage you to always come early, be, be ready, come ready to give your sacrifice on a regular basis to God through this form of singing. And I know if it's uncomfortable, that just may be one of the ways that God is challenging you on this day to engage in worship of him. Uh, secondly, obviously, it's a God's word and prayer. It's key on a daily basis. Uh, last week when we were up in Montana, We gave an assignment to all the elders and, and the wives as well, and everybody scattered. And for three hours, you spent time in solitude just between you and God. And it was a guided time, but man, when you go into that, I can see the looks on faces. They're like, three hours? Whew, that is a long time. What am I gonna do for three hours? Because we're in such a kind of culture, everything has to happen instantly. But here's what happens it starts out hard. And that first hour, you kind of grind through. And then all of a sudden, where did the last two hours go? And you're like, what happened? It's fascinating when we actually create time to listen and not just speak, that God speaks. Or it sure seems like his voice gets louder. When we actually create that time, which is why we always say daily, do you have that time that's created where you can actually not only commune with God, but actually try to listen to him through his word and through your prayers? So I wanna encourage you to be able to do it. That's how you plug in to the Holy Spirit's power, which leads us to the last one. How do we we tap into this power? It's plugging into and committing to church community and real relationships. That's what he says. You're part of the body of Christ. You have a gift that's been given by God that's not just for you, but it's to serve other people, but you're the one that's gonna grow. This Holy Spirit wants to use you in the lives of other people, but if you're not in community, how are you supposed to use that? If you're not in Christ-centered community, how are you supposed to actually use the gifts in which the Holy Spirit has given you that actually will help you become more like Jesus as you're helping others to do the same? So he's challenging and encouraging us. You're not supposed to go through life on your own, that there's a family, greater family. And we know we gather here together, which is great, but we gather so that we can scatter. That's the whole point. We gather together so we can leave the building Because God's not just looking in the building and live for him, being led by the Holy Spirit, but we need smaller, tighter relationships with Jesus at the center. And I know time is the biggest issue for most of us, but how important this really is. Remember this, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. See, God, whoever he calls to relationship with him, he will equip. God doesn't call those who are equipped as much as God equips those who are called. And that's what you always have to remember. And like I said, we need to plug into a power beyond us that's prayerfully in us to be able to live and do what we could never do on our own strength and power, which is the Holy Spirit. So your next step, what is it? What is your next step as you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You have an opportunity today to receive this power if you've never received it, to come back to that power because you've been trying to fight some battles and some situations on your own strength and power and you're finding yourself exhausted and you're losing. God wants to empower you. He wants to empower you to reach your friends for Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit's gonna work, but he's gotta use you in the lives of somebody else. He wants to empower you to overcome those things that are destroying your life. He wants to empower you with a gift to be used in glory to him and in the lives of others. How will you tap into the spirit this week? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity and time. And I pray, Father, right now, you would just allow us to hear from your spirit. What is it? How is it that you want us to tap into you this week? Father, maybe we find ourselves in church for the millionth time and we feel more like the Dead Sea than the Sea of Galilee. I pray, Father, that we would just examine our hearts and our minds and our lives. Father, maybe there's somebody in here who's not yet received you, that it starts there. And if that's you, I pray that you'd pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Teach me by your spirit to know what that means. Father, maybe for some of us, we're just gonna walk out of here trying to discover what our gift is and how we can grow in that gift. Thank you for empowering us beyond what we could actually do or say, to live in a life and a culture that moves further from you. Thank you for that power that we need every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.